0: Welcome to the Swim Coach in Transit podcast. I am your host, Lucas Ferreira. In this episode, I sat down with Ben Utash, who's the head age group coach for the Ames Cyclone Aquatics Club. While in most cases I only had the chance to interview one coach from each club I visited, my stay in Ames was a little longer, and that allowed me to both see a little bit more of the club and interview more coaches from their staff. If you listened to the last episode with ACAC's head coach Mike Peterson, he mentioned and praised Ben's work in the club's age group program. Mike was also the one who suggested I ask Ben to be on the podcast, and I'm really glad I followed his advice. Rather than only having season or head coaches on, it was great to change the pace a little bit and talk to someone who is still young into coaching. Ben is one of those young coaches that is great to watch on deck. He's got tons of energy and love for the sport, and as you're about to hear, he's also got a great wealth of knowledge to go with it, and is still pretty humble about it all. As such, I'm once again very happy and proud to be able to put this chat out there for everyone to hear. So, here's the third episode of the Swim Coaching Transit Podcast with Ben Utesh. All right, Ben, uh, thank you for agreeing to sit down and taking the time. Yeah, no problem. Um, so. You, uh, I'm gonna mention this in the in the introduction, but you uh, have been with ACAC for about four years now. Uh, as a coach, uh, I think uh, I think five years, starting
1: my sixth, if I remember correctly, oh, wow. something like that.
0: T- t- time's going by quicker than yeah. I. Than yes, I it thought. is. <laughs> uh, so you, it's pretty unique. I, up to this point, I think you're you're the third person I'm interviewing and the third person that actually is coaching for the club you swam for. Yeah. Um, So let's go a little bit about that. You uh, grew up swimming uh, in Ames, grew up swimming for ACAC in Ames High. you want to go over kind of what your path was uh, to the present?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, So I started swimming a little bit later than than most people. I think I started with ACAC when I was nearly 11 years old, I think just a month month before I turned 11. Uh, And just kind of started right from there was... The slowest swimmer in the pool when I first started, but that didn't get me down. Um, Didn't get get any cue times my first year, and then I think by my second year already as a 12-year-old, I did start getting some cue times. Um, Ended up being a state champion by the time I was 14, and then swam for Ames High uh, with Coach Dan Flannery. Um, Was a high school state champion as a senior in high school. Uh, got a scholarship, partial scholarship, to swim at Oakland University in college. Swam for Pete Hovland there and won four conference championships in the Summit League.
0: All right. Uh, and I I didn't get to coach you directly when I first came to Ames. You had just graduated. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think at that time, there was already uh, everybody pretty impressed with your role as captain and, and leadership. Uh, was coaching kind of in the background back of your mind at some point in time or is it something that you thought about back in the day or yeah a little bit
1: um so even even back in high school I'd done some coaching for the country club which is actually kind of pre-acac where I really got my first start Um, that's all that's just kind of a summer league thing I started that when I was either 9 or 10 just before I started doing acac um so I started coaching for them when I was 15 or 16 working with the little kids there and and the one thing that, that I really remember, and I think a lot of coaches end up having this at some point when they start coaching, especially if they're still swimming when they start coaching, um, is I was I was working with the kids and I was telling them, I can't remember the exact detail, but you gotta work on your streamline or you gotta do this with your arm when you catch. And I just kind of had a little moment to myself where I thought, you know what? I, I should probably be doing that better myself. <laughs> and and I just kind of realized how, how important coaching can be to a swimmer and and that's kind of one thing that I that I've kind of talked to some of the other coaches in our club about is is especially on the senior levels letting them work with some of the little kids because one it's it's fun for for the seniors and the little kids but two it can actually really help some of those seniors to have that moment of of self-realization right what they can be doing better
0: yes sometimes the The best way to learn something is trying to teach it to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And uh, besides all those little clicks, they're like, yeah, turns out I'm telling these kids to do this, and I'm not sure I'm doing it myself. And that
1: was just kind of a really fun moment for me that made me like it.
0: That's pretty cool. Uh, I I haven't asked anybody that before, but what was your major in college?
1: So I majored in... uh, I started out as an MIS major, uh, and I I enjoyed some of those classes, but... um, N- not all of them. So that then I think my sophomore year, I ended up switching to business management and I minored in marketing. So, uh, Mike tries to get me to do as much of the marketing side of, of ACAC as club. I can. Yeah.
0: Okay. And, um, coaching followed right after college. Did you, is that correct?
1: Yeah. Well, uh, mostly. So right after college, um, uh, I came back to Ames, and I and I wanted to finish my MIS degree, but again, the, the classes, I, so I started taking a couple classes at Iowa State, and again, I just, I wasn't liking them, so I just did one semester at Iowa State and said, you know what, one degree is enough for me. Um, and I, I actually had started training with uh, Coach Aaron, again, because he was trying to get in shape and, and have some fun with swimming again, and I swam a little bit with ACAC as well, because I wanted to do a couple events that I never got to swim in high school or college like the, the 50 free and the 100 breaststroke just, just for fun, just see what I could do. So and s- then Swimming as a post-grad. Yeah. <laughs> so I swam for about four months, six months after I graduated and then started coaching in the spring uh, of 2014, I believe.
0: Okay. And uh, still uh, new to the profession, which I think is pretty exciting. Uh, would you... I guess you already mentioned some of the names of your coaches. Would you have uh, anybody else that you would list as a mentor along the way up to this point? Oh, yeah,
1: for sure. So uh, I think the ones I've already listed are uh, Aaron Nakama and Dan Flannery. They were huge, probably the biggest parts of of my swimming career. Dan got me started with the country club and then was my high school coach. Um, And Aaron Nakama was my, my club coach pretty much my entire swimming career. And he... The one thing I really like about Aaron is that he always did a really good job of, of pushing me and, and never accepting what I've done as being my limits. He, he would always find a way to get me to push myself harder, which I really appreciated. Um, and then as, as well as those two, there was uh, Trip Hedrick, who I did lessons with, and I think he really, really helped me improve my swimming. Um, And then in college, uh, Pete would always push me. um, And then for one year, one of my favorite coaches ever, I I wish I could have had more time with him, was James Weick. Uh, He was a swimmer for Auburn University in the mid to er, uh, late 2000s, I believe, probably mid-2000s. I think he was team captain his senior year. Um, And the thing I really appreciated about James is that at a at a college where where i wasn't the fastest swimmer or the best swimmer um it's very easy to just kind of get lost in the shuffle of of that swimming world but james was able to recognize at least in my opinion uh who who worked the hardest who who was doing the most for the team and and really really found an appreciation for that and didn't didn't just look at the swimming times and said all right who what are these what are these kids actually doing and, and how can I make them better
0: that's pretty good um, I guess again given all those influences and, and just getting into coach would you think that uh, up to this point well you're now working with college kids or you actually help out with the high school kids mm-hmm. uh, but your your main group is the nine to twelve is that correct yes uh, how how much do you think uh, your coaching is directly influenced by, by these people and how much you, you're kind of trying to find your own, your own ways.
1: Yeah. So, um, my coaching style is, is largely, largely influenced by our head coach, Mike. I, I, he's very, very successful. And I try to emulate him in as many ways as I can, um, to try and be half as successful as he is. But, uh, on the same end, I try to find, find my own way to do things as well. Um, and Taylor, my workouts for the uh 9, 10s and 11 12s um but and I think we might end up getting to this a little bit later but the one the one thing that I've I found that I didn't get right I think my when I started coaching is I had a lot a big focus on on training them or training the kids aerobically and getting them in shape to to finish their events um and what I found is that Especially with the nine tens, the eleven twelves start to handle it, handle that aerobic side a little bit better as they approach being pre seniors and seniors, um, but the nine tens don't don't enjoy that side as much. And so, I, within the last year or so, I've started to try and transition from a little bit more of an aerobic focus to a little bit more of a technique and sprint focus because the kids really really like and respond to that. And if they like and respond to something, they're going to do it better. Um, and then also, I th- just think it's it's too, Im- too important of a time in their swimming careers to not give them as much focus on technique as they need.
0: Right. Um, I think you can actually uh, get into this a little bit more now. I was uh, watching practice yesterday, and if I count it correctly, you had something like Thirty plus kids in three mm-hmm. lanes. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's pretty amazing to see how you make it work. In, in, in fact, uh, I guess when you talk about working the aerobic side, doing hundreds, two hundreds and plus uh, with with that kind of group and, and numbers uh, would be a challenge. But they they kept moving. It's not like they were sitting on the wall for yeah. very long times. So you uh, does that is that something that also plays in? I guess. Looking at the situation that you guys have with currently with lane space and, and yeah. numbers.
1: yeah, so that that's actually one thing that that I have worked really hard on on trying to figure out how to get done and, and figure uh, figure out how to make make our situation work best for the kids. When I first started coaching, um, we actually had two different age group programs. there's an I think it was called age group one and age group two. Um, and so they would have different workouts and and you'd have your faster swimmers and more experienced swimmers in I, I think it was age group two I don't remember which one and then and then your newer swimmers and your less experienced swimmers in, in age group one and so that that was a very easy solution to, to make the workouts in the lane space work but it um, we ended up getting rid of it because what it what it can do is hinder someone's progress that might be in that age group one that wants to push themselves and wants to be in that faster group in age group two but is never really given the opportunity because of their speed so we made a transition to everybody being in one in one group and all having the same workout but adjusting intervals and and moving kids around and so, for example, when, I, when we do more aerobic workouts, which I still end up doing because the kids do need to be in some sort of shape to swim, obviously, uh, I, I kind of try and split split the lanes into a faster and a medium and a slower group and have intervals for each lane and maybe adjust the distance. So one group's doing hundreds and one's doing 75s and one's doing 50s or something like that. And then when we're doing more technique and sprint-focused days and we're all pretty much only doing 25s and 50s, I try to uh, mix up who's in what lane and, and get people who would normally be in the same lane in a different lane so they can either race each other for the sprints or or get the opportunity to be leaders when maybe they're normally just in the middle of the lane. Um, and then also just to get pe- the kids to interact with other kids that they might not normally get the opportunity to interact with.
0: It's pretty cool. Is there any other changes that, that you think you've made uh, to training philosophy and, and uh, training setup um,
1: yeah the, the biggest one is that transit like I talked about previously the transition to to technique and sprint over over aerobic endurance um, and then we're also t- starting to try and, and focus on the big thing this year that I'm I'm really working on with the kids, because I, s- I saw an interesting post, I don't know, a couple months ago, um, that I really enjoyed and I actually took a screenshot of it. And I'm going to talk to them about it at some point probably. It's just a little little blurb here. It uh, doesn't directly have anything to do with swimming, but you can be applied to almost anything. It's about popcorn. <laughs>
0: <laughs> also, so the kids will relate to it? Oh, yeah.
1: So it says, popcorn is prepared in the same pot in the same heat, in the same oil, and yet the kernels do not pop at the same time. Don't compare your child to other children. Their turn to pop is coming. And and so that, that kind of made me realize that, you know, just because a 9-year-old's really fast now doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be the best 18-year-old when they get there. And con- on the other end, just because they might not be the fastest 9- or 10-year-old means doesn't mean they'll be the worst they might end up being the best you n- you never know like I look at myself for example I didn't even start swimming until I was 11 I would have probably not even been in the age group program um so I try to get away from from focusing on on trying to make the swimmers the fastest swimmers they can be in age group I try to focus on making them the best swimmers they can be in age group and that that line can kind of get blurred sometimes I think very easily so instead of just focusing on purely how fast they are I try to get them to focus on technique and then also the big thing especially this year is listening skills because there's never a point in your life where we're focusing and listening to people who are trying to help you will be a bad skill to have <laughs> that's yeah, always useful
0: I, yeah it's interesting it's important skill that's Oftentimes we just don't spend enough time developing. We just yeah. expect that people have it, and don't realize that a lot of adults don't have it still. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. You guys have a pretty uh, unique staff, I think. Talking to Mike, he was uh, he mentioned guys essentially have four potential head coaches on staff. Uh, so a lot of a lot to be learned uh, on staff. Is there anywhere else you go to uh, learn more about swimming to to get informed? Is there any uh, particular websites or articles mm-hmm. or books, anything that you use to.
1: Yeah, so um, I'm sure I don't do it as much as Mike. He does. I'm just as whenever he's not coaching or doing something for ACAC, he's pretty much always trying to learn something. But the the two biggest things I like to use are Swimming Fastest, which is a book written by Ernie McGlisco, um, who I think he was called the Godfather of swimming uh, back in the day. So he's he coached at. Uh, Chico State for a long time I know which is where my uh, college head coach Pete Hovland swam and so when I was in college being coached by Pete uh, Ernie would actually come to Oakland for about a week every single year and and do a little coaching clinic and so that's kind of my introduction to Ernie and and so I bought his book and uh, it's I don't know if you've ever seen it but it's just like the biggest book right, in the world it's a, yeah, it's so a, I've not quite been able to finish it yet but I, I like to look through it I've, I've made little tabs that that I can reference for each chapter if I'm looking for something specific but at some point in my life I'd like to actually finish reading the book
0: oh it's not it's not a book that you necessarily have to read cover yeah, to cover it's, yeah, uh, it's topics more. and it is I think that's the third edition because I think yeah. the first one was swimming faster yep. and then fastest. I, yep. I can't remember, but yeah, I think I think, look I for think it was
1: swimming fast, swimming faster, and swimming fastest. Okay, and yeah, okay. he was really praying that he got everything right on, on that the, third because he didn't no. have any more titles. <laughs> um, and then the other the other thing I use is I'll just l- watch YouTube videos of swimming mostly. Uh, and not, there's lots of different videos I've watched to learn about swimming, but my favorite one is actually a YouTube channel called skills nt swimming uh they just they put out lots of good stuff i don't know if they put out daily videos but it seems like darn near you can find just about anything you want on their channel so i i really like looking at their stuff
0: okay i haven't heard of them Gonna have to check them out uh have you been to any clinics or any any uh, kind of like coaches congregations something like that or uh yeah
1: so just just one clinic and i i always I forget the guy's name. Uh, I want to say it's uh, Bruce Gemmel. He's the head coach of Nation Capital Swimming. Was
0: Katie Ledecky's coach? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Yes, Bruce. Um, yeah.
1: So I was I was at a coaching conference in Chicago, and he was kind of the lead speaker there. And and one of the things that he said that really kind of stuck with me, and and kind of probably started my transition from the like I was talking about earlier, the aerobic focus, and and trying to get swimmers to be as as fast as I can make them until they move on to being pre-seniors. is He said, I believe the quote was, there's no such thing as a fast age group swimmer. And my, my knee-jerk reaction to that was, what the heck are you talking about, man? We have a lot of fast, yeah. fast age group swimmers. And, <laughs> then, and then I don't remember if he completely explained his thought, but the more I thought about it, I was like, you know what? You're right. If, if any of those age group swimmers never got faster until they graduated ho- college, or high school even, um, you'd look at their times and, and not the fastest age group in the world would not be all that impressive for a high school swimmer. I mean, even a nine, 10 year old going 25 and a 50 free, which is pretty crazy fast. That's just a middling average high school swimmer, not not to put down anyone who goes (laughs) 25 and a 50 free. Yeah.
0: But it's, I guess, putting in perspective that, that, that progression is Mm -hmm. important and, and how fast they are at even 12 or, or mm-hmm. 13 is not nearly as important as how fast they can be by the end of their career. Yeah. Um, and that's pretty good. Um, do you, again, you're pretty new into coaching, so maybe haven't had enough time to, uh, miss, miss a lot of staffs. but do you have any kind of failure stories that sometimes that, uh, you, you did things that you, uh, regret would do differently or especially things that, um, Perhaps plan didn't go accord or didn't things didn't go according to plan, yeah. but but you learn an important lesson.
1: Yeah. So there, there's a couple. I mean, every every swimmer in the world has the same failures at least at some point that you just can't remember specifically missing a Q time or a AAA time or some sort of standard or or winning a race just by you missed that by a little bit. And there's not always exactly one thing you did wrong. You said oh, I should have done that better, um, but. The two examples that stick out the most in my mind um, was my senior year in high school at the at the high school state meet in the hundred butterfly. Um, what I ended up doing wrong is I went out a little bit too relaxed and conservative in my first 50, maybe even 75, and by the time I got to the turn, the the last turn of the race. I was just a little bit further behind than I was comfortable with. So I really, really tried to do my turn as fast as possible. My my hand ended up slipping off the wall a little bit. My turn was ended up being really, really slow. And so I had a lot of energy coming off that wall, but because I'd missed that turn, uh, I was not able to make up all the ground. I ended up getting second when I was seated first and, and the high school team was trying to win a state championship. So that was a really kind of unfortunate moment in my swimming career, and so what I was fortunately able to do is to just learn my lesson very quickly, and when I got to my 100 back a little bit later on in the meet, instead of trying to swim a conservative uh, race, I just, I, I went out after it and said, you know what, it's only 100, I can sprint for 50 seconds, and I ended up getting out way ahead in the first 50 of that and was able to hold on in the last 25 instead of trying to make up ground,
0: Right, is that something that then informs your coach in some way in terms of like how you yeah, es- how you proceed about race strategy with yeah, your kids, es-
1: especially with the young kids? Um, it, I, it's very easy to get swimmers that, or at least in my opinion, it's very easy to get swimmers who have learned how to go out hard to kind of back off a little bit, but it's very very difficult to get swimmers who have learned to pace themselves for every single race to just kind of get after it. And so I try to teach the kids at a young age to just get after races and you can learn how to pace it when you're older. Um, and then the other the other failure, I suppose you'd call it, um, is the 200 fly. And unfortunately, the, the story takes place over like three or four years. Um, but it, it influenced my coaching, or at least coaching philosophy uh when if I ever get to be a senior coach um is I think when I was 15 I was either 15 or 16 so I'm not sure if it was a three or four year process I swam a really really fast for me 200 long course fly I was like 214 at the time um at the high at the club state meet in the summer and then the next year we we decided to go to uh sectionals and do the do that was my taper meet and sectionals is much faster harder meet to get second swims at and so I swam like a 214 again added just a little bit of time and didn't get a second swim and then we did the same thing the next year and I might have dropped a tenth of a second went 214 again when I was 17 or 18 and then we did again and again and it just felt like it I never got any faster and I've always kind of felt that the main reason for that wasn't necessarily my training or my preparation for the meet. I always felt like I was a better swimmer the next year, even though I didn't get any faster. The main reason I felt that that I wasn't able to improve my lifetime best is because I went to a meet where I wasn't necessarily, I don't know about guaranteed, a second race, but I didn't get myself a second race. So I, whenever Mike is asking me should... Or should I taper the swimmers for this meet or for that meet? My first response is pretty much always, will they be able to get second swims? Because I just think that that is, that is very vital to get get swimmers as many opportunities as they can. So I think it's when you're trying to taper a swimmer for a meet to get them to the fastest meet possible for them where they will more than likely get a second swim.
0: Right. That's, that's a great point. I feel like... Um there's something to be said about taking the kid to the fastest meet that, that they qualify for, to be exposed to that experience. But perhaps that's not the best meet for the kid to focus on yeah. for the season. Uh, if if that kid has no chance of getting second swims there. Um, that's good. I think, again, it's uh, interesting to see somebody with a still very fresh perspective from from your swimming career kind of trying to apply those things into coaching. Um, do you have? Do you think you've had a? Um, wh- what would you say is your best career decision up to this point as a coach? Uh, again, not not a lot of years under the belt there. Um.
1: Yeah. So so that's I think what I was getting at earlier in the interview. I think the best thing that I've decided to do is to make that transition from from aerobic focus to sprint and, and technique because um, I know from a couple of parents I was getting a little bit of feedback of oh my kids not loving swimming and or they're they're not wanting to come to practice and usually you get those in the summer when kids just want to be kids and, and that's fine if they want to take days off or take the summer off I I fully expect kids to be kids um, but on the same end I, I kind of looked and said all right what can I be doing to make practice more enjoyable while still being helpful I mean you can't just let the kids play games every single day because that's not good for them either so I just looked and said what what can I do as a coach to to help them want to be at practice and still improve as a swimmer and, and that's kind of where I, where I came to that conclusion that it's more important for these kids to to stick with it and if that means doing doing something like technique and sprinting that they'll enjoy more uh then that's what I need to do
0: that's great um, you mentioned at some point uh maybe when they work directly seniors and and at this point you are assisting with the seniors do you have you put any thought into uh where you want a career to go as a coach is are you comfortable being an age group coach for a few more years are you
1: yeah for sure i i love being an age group coach and if if at some point i end up being a head coach of a program i wouldn't even mind being the head coach as the age group coach i know some that's not a very common practice but i do know some people that have done that before um yeah i wouldn't i would i think that that would be the ultimate goal is to be the head coach of a program uh i don't think i would enjoy college coaching as much almost for the same reason that that i do enjoy being age group coach so much is that i just i love working with with people that are fresh to the sport that that don't that don't know what they're what they're doing and are, are willing to learn and my experience with some of my teammates a lot of a lot of college athletes feel like they probably know what's what and it's it just seems like it would be a very very unnecessarily difficult task to coach people with with egos like that 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 say oh I know better than you why should I listen to you and and it's just much more fun to work with people who want to learn as opposed to you're trying to force them to learn
0: right it's a especially that age I think is a prime age where they're they're very very flexible and very dynamic they, they are changing all the time yeah. so you also tend to see more improvement a lot quicker yep um, it's also it's interesting because uh, I see a lot of uh, people coming out of uh, college swimming and they want to go into coaching but they're their first priority is either going to college coaching or mm-hmm. they think they're ready to take a head coaching job, and here you are uh, out of college coaching, but you chose to, to to take an age group job and work with more experienced coaches. Uh, I think that's always a, a good career move in terms yeah. of learning, learning the ins and outs of the sport. Uh, what I mean, do you see that that being something that been benefiting you up to this point oh
1: absolutely um and I, i'll i'll it's a two-way street too because i i have a somewhat unique job in that i get to work with the the nine tens, 10s 11 12s as well as the seniors uh i take things that i learned with the seniors and and coach mike and take it to to my kids and say hey let's try doing this or on the other side of things i say hey mike we're doing this in the age group program and i think if we adjust it a little bit we can make it work for the seniors too and, and help them learn how to do something um, but to, to your original point um, as a very very fresh coach when I very first started I was just the senior assistant coach and I was helping out with the high schoolers and when when the head coach at the time asked me to be the the age group coach I was a little bit I don't know if resistant is the w- right word but uh, I wasn't certain that, I, I've, or at least I felt I was willing to do it for sure, but I wasn't sure that that's what I was going to want to do. And then I don't know how long it took, probably just a couple of weeks, I said, oh man, I like working with these kids a lot. They're in a lot of regards more fun than working with the high school kids. Um, so yeah, it didn't take me long at all to, to change my opinion on working with the younger ones.
0: That's good. Uh, I, I mean, and if any young coaches listening to this out there, hopefully they are also interested in yeah. going and seeing that side of the sport. Because I agree, I've been, I've been working with kind of that age group for for eight to ten years now, and it's uh it's very rewarding. On yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, if you had to pick, I'm gonna give a number here, one to five, but I guess pick however many you want. Uh, what are the skills or the qualities you think uh, you would like? every swimmer that goes through your groups to come out with. Um.
1: Yeah, so um, I, w- I was, do y- you mean more specific swimming skills uh, or just e- kind either of general either skills? S- either
0: swimming skills or, or, or more uh, maybe some character traits. Like yeah. As you talked about, you're yeah. trying to work on listening. Yeah, because uh, that, so
1: that's the biggest thing that I want the kids to have learned before when by the time they, they leave my program. And, and move up to be the pre seniors. I want them to be able to listen to the coach, look at the board, understand what's going on and, and do and focus on trying to make themselves better as opposed to just coming to the workout and goofing off the whole day. That's so I I feel like I rarely yell at the kids. Maybe some of them uh <laughs> would disagree with that. But I feel like I haven't yelled at a kid in forever for what they're actually doing, uh, how fast they're doing it, or how hard they're working. The, the reason that a, a kid will get me to yell at them is if they're chit-chatting while, while I'm talking in, or, or goofing off underwater while I'm giving an instruction or something like that. And, and I do everything I can to make sure that the kids learn that when someone who's trying to help you is, is talking to you, you need to be listening to them.
0: Right, uh, I think side note to uh, the I forgot how how challenging the the acoustics of the this pool oh, yeah. is until I walk back in, and if you've never been That's in the Ames pool, it's a dome it's a real dome, and you have nine lanes and you have all sorts of other things going on you're working with three lanes like, like kind of like I mentioned it's thirty kids in three lanes, but there's yeah. sixty 70 other kids uh, working in the other lanes, yeah. so the the sound Acoustics is already a challenge.
1: Yeah, the, the noise is bouncing back and forth, obviously, with the kids talking, the just general swimming noise of people moving through the water. And then not, uh, the the pool has gotten a lot better uh, in terms of air quality in some regards, but we still struggle with that. So we have three big, huge fans running constantly, and, and you don't really notice it uh, passively until you turn one off, and yes. you're like, holy that, smokes, hum this thing is so, so loud. loud. Yeah. <laughs> And so, just I do my best to try and and get my voice over top o- of all that noise, but it's it's very tough for me. I'm not quite as loud as as Mike or Brian, so, so I struggle so with that sometimes. Sometimes the
0: guys have music going on the background on top. Oh of yeah, it. <laughs> and
1: Mike really likes to to turn up the music. Um, sometimes I'll resort to using a whistle, but I know some of the other coaches don't like that because that interferes with their practices at times. But you gotta do what you gotta do <laughs> right
0: <laughs> right, yeah so that i mean i guess uh, a challenge on one on one end but on the other end it, it really reinforces what you're trying to mm-hmm. do with uh teaching them to listen because yeah. uh, it's it's hard as it is if they are all paying attention yeah.
1: and and yeah it, it's really like i was saying difficult to get them to listen when even if they are listening sometimes you can't be heard just because there's so much noise <laughs>
0: it's so loud Right. anything else you could think of in terms of mo- a more specific uh, or swimming specific skew or anything like that that you would uh, make? you're trying to make sure that they have yeah. when they so, move on to the next group
1: so in terms of just swimming specific um, we're really trying to make a push as a program to, to work on uh, a couple specific things, dolphin kicking we're trying to introduce at an earlier age um, and and that's a really unique problem because for, for my group, it's always, they've, they struggle on one extreme or the other and, and it's difficult to try and get them to find a middle ground of dolphin kicking where you, you tell the kids, all right, uh, we're gonna work on this and I want you to do two dolphin kicks off of every wall and by the time they get to be uh, pre-senior, they're gonna be expected to do four and then seniors are gonna be six to eight or something like that, it's just an example. And so I'm telling my kids, all right, I want you to do two dolphin kicks off of every single wall. And you'll have a handful of kids that just refuse to do any dolphin kicks off the wall, and they push off at the surface, not in a streamline. And then on the other end, you'll have a couple kids that say, yeah, I really want to get good at dolphin kicking. And they'll just do 10, 15, 20 dolphin kicks off off the wall. But because they're 10-year-olds, they don't go anywhere, and they're just spending forever underwater. I'm just like... you. You just just two that's all I want <laughs> and then get up and swim right. and and that lesson is kind of hard for some of them to learn um and then the other big thing that we're pushing for in our program is especially at the young age they can kind of transition away from it as seniors is bilateral breathing working on breathing every three at practice learning how to balance your stroke uh rotating both sides because if you if you don't learn that skill at a young age you can develop an imbalanced stroke and and rotation. And so we're trying to start that a little bit younger, getting them to learn how to rotate equally to both sides. And then if they end up developing a dominant side as a senior or as, as a swimmer, by the time they get to be a senior, we might, we'll say, all right, you have learned that you like and or are better breathing to your right but because we've spent so much time breathing every three or every five, you've, you've learned how to rotate equally despite breathing one direction. So we'll let you do that now.
0: Okay. Um, if, you, if you had to give a presentation or go back to college but to teach a class uh, on any topic other than swimming, uh, what do you think would be and, and why? Yeah.
1: So unfortunately for me, most of my knowledge – uh is ultimately useless even um, <laughs> <If it> better <laughs> yeah so if i if I had to pick something that I would be even qualified to teach, it would uh probably either be um, Game of Thrones because i 've read all those books and watch a TV show i 've got multiple people started on the show, and whenever someone 's confused and they say hey what 's what 's going on in this scene or this episode or who's this character i don't remember them. I can pretty much answer that right away, so i I feel like I could teach a Game of Thrones class at a at a big university if they're willing to teach something like that
0: no, no no spoilers, but are you on the camp that was satisfied with the ending or the camp that yeah,
1: so I try to stay away from from internet culture and kind of in general and form my own opinions, and yeah i I felt that they did a good job with the ending. Um, And that ultimately even though some people liked it and some people didn't I felt for the most part they did everything that they had to do and all these people that say they didn't like it uh, and I just I'm like all right what would you have done better and pretty much anyone's just like whoa I don't (laughs) know it's just like okay Um, and then the other thing that that I really enjoy is I watch just a lot of soccer Okay. Um, so if, if I wasn't a swimmer I probably would have ended up being a soccer player um, so I, I if I, maybe not teach it at, at a class but and being a soccer coach I, I think I could I would enjoy doing that as well
0: okay uh, and do you I, I guess reading you kind of already mentioned reading and, and watching soccer do you have any other hobbies uh, outside of uh, coaching? Yeah so,
1: so those are probably my two biggest um, but Recently, I've just kind of started trying to get back into working out and being healthier, and and doing a lot of running and and exercising. So those those three are probably my biggest hobbies right now.
0: All right, uh, do you do you have a routine? Do you have like a first thirty minutes of your day standard yeah. things or?
1: So uh, it's probably a better question for me. What's the first hour because the first 30 minutes of my, I'm very, I'm very slow going in the morning. (laughs) So the first 30 minutes of my day are usually just hitting the snooze button a couple of times. (laughs) Um, but after that, I, I have to set my alarm. Like I said, probably 30 minutes earlier than I should need to just because I, I can't get myself out of bed right away. Um, but after that, when I finally do get myself up, uh, my regular morning routine is pretty much just, uh, standard stuff take a shower brush my teeth uh get my coffee and then I, I really dislike being cold so what i'll do is while i'm drinking my coffee i'll kind of sit down in front of my my space heater uh and just warm myself up after stepping out of the shower and being freezing cold yeah and i mean
0: ames Eye was not a good place for, for yeah. not liking being cold yeah i know
1: <laughs> my sister uh lives up in minnesota and she's always trying to get me to move up and so i just so i can visit her more often i'm like, I'm never moving to Minnesota. I'm yeah, not moving an inch north of Ames, <laughs> Iowa. If I'm moving anywhere, it's south.
0: Right. Um, do you, um, and how do you go about like riding workos Do you uh, ride workos? Is it more you come up with a theme and, and then kind of let it progress in practice? Yeah.
1: So um, I've tried a lot of different things. Um, I've tried writing things just, uh, on a, like try to work out, write all my workouts for a month. Um, but I didn't like doing that just cause I felt like what, when I was doing that, I just kind of ended up writing a very, very slightly different version of the same workout. Cause there's just at, when you're writing workouts, it, it can be a little tough to come up with something different. So I don't, I don't like writing all my workouts at the same time. But on the other end, I've also tried doing it Uh, That day and just kind of taking day-to-day. What did we do yesterday? What do we need to work on? And I don't love doing that either Um, So what I try to do um, Is write workouts for a week and say all right We're gonna work on this that day this that day this that day and then make small adjustments over the course of the week and say All right, this is this was my plan Uh, we got done what we needed to yesterday, so we're gonna continue with that or we didn't get done what we needed to do yesterday. I'm going to change what we're, what I had planned for today, uh, to compensate and try and work on that again to to develop the skill more to where we needed it to be.
0: And, and with that group, when you when you write a workout, is it more specific? Like uh, we're going to do hundreds and fifties and twenty fives on this this and that that yeah. interval? Or is it more? Uh, I'm going to work on this skill for a certain amount of time. Yeah.
1: So um, I try. I'm not trying to figure out the right way to say it um I try to have like days where I'll say all right Tuesdays and Thursdays will be our technique and sprint days and Wednesdays and Fridays will be our aerobic days so that I can like, like I said earlier uh organize the lanes in in a better way for just who's in what lanes and and make all that that work out um and I don't always exactly say all right I want to work on fifties today and, and hundreds the next day. It's more a little bit broader than that. I wanna work on butterfly today or I wanna work on sprinting today. More than more than pace, I suppose is is a way to say that.
0: Okay. Uh, curious, you if you have kind of a set thing, can you mention uh, gonna do sprint work on Tuesdays and Thursdays, mm-hmm. and, and technique. Uh, you don't. Want, most of your kids are not coming to practice every day. How do yeah. you How do you handle that um, to make sure their kids are kind that, of that?
1: That is one of the one of the bigger challenges of age group coaching, and, and I think the unfortunate answer is I haven't really found a, a great way to to cope with that, and because certain kids' schedules they they can only be there on Tuesday and Thursday and Sunday. And some kids can only be there Wednesday and Friday and Saturday. or Those are just examples. Um, And I suppose an easy solution would be for one week to have it be these days and then the next week switch them. But I think in general I like sticking to a plan because – lets kids th- that do come every day get into a rhythm and and kind of have an idea of what to expect I don't I don't like I not that I don't but I don't like throwing uh curveballs at the kids I kind of like them to have an idea of what to expect when they come to work out um but I I will also try and and make sure that I get kids who might not have the opportunity to say starts for example we which and that's probably the most unfortunate one because we're so limited, most of the time we're we're in the shallow lanes and we see we can only get the deep end of the of the water of the pool to one to two times a week and those are almost always the same days just because of when the other groups get get the get They're
0: that side of the pool.
1: Right. Um so some kids that can't be there on Sundays and I think Thursdays is the other day we we traditionally get the deep end they they very rarely get to work on starts which is just an unfortunate uh, situation that we're in. Um, but I'm always trying to figure out a way to to get those kids the ability to do starts. That's the biggest one. I the other parts like I mentioned I can just kind of swap butterfly and sprint days around or backstroke and breaststroke days around that's easy enough to do but but which days we get the deep end is not as flexible which is very unfortunate for those kids that can't be there those days but I'm always trying to
0: uh, so somehow i got to make it work. Work eventually. with the
1: other coaches and, and get deep end on different days every once in a while to give those kids opportunities.
0: So at least every now and then they get there. Yeah. yeah. Um, when you were uh, writing work, was just more of a cu- curiosity. Is, are you... Uh, there's an lo- alarm going. Yeah, on. I was trying to block some somebody, of the sound. <laughs> somebody is getting it, but I don't know where it is. Uh, if you're when you're writing workers, it is are you a notepad guy are you a software guy so
1: yeah i'm i'm i like the uh, excel spreadsheets i used to kind of write them out but um with my minimal uh experience in mis i know my way around an excel spreadsheet and, and whatnot so i i like the things that you can do in there writing out the yardage just with small functions and and keep track of things like that and then. Uh, it also helps me be more organized. I, it's harder for me to keep track of physical pieces of paper and and whatnot, so I can look back on on occasions and say, "All right, what did we do this year? What what's my plan for this? Are we in the same spots? Uh, are we behind? Are we ahead?" Uh, so I kind of like I like using my iPad or PC at home to just work in Excel to create my workouts.
0: Okay. Um one of the things that i'm trying to talk to uh coaches uh in this podcast is uh we obviously everybody i'm sitting down with is uh into coaching and, and likes coaching and enjoys uh but it's not always it's not always positive and i, th- I think it's it's okay for us to kind of talk about what mm-hmm. I, some of the things that i kind of call the dark side of coaching uh again being new into it i'm not sure how much you you felt the toe of it uh you kind of already mentioned that you went back into working out to stay healthy mm-hmm. uh, is there any any challenges that are kind of specific from coaching and from the career that you you see already that uh, might might be a challenge in the long term and might, might make uh, staying into coaching a little harder um, for me
1: not not so much uh, I don't know if I just have a uh, natural disposition to not noticing things but uh or bad things at least but but a lot of the time someone will say oh that person was rude to you and I just didn't even notice or or why why did you let that happen I'm like oh I it didn't even phase me at all so so negative things don't don't really affect me all that much um or I hardly even notice them um but yeah, the, the biggest thing I suppose uh, on the coaching side is, and and this is more my own fault. Uh, you rarely slash never really get a day off, whether you whether it's from the pool or or even not. Um, I think I actively coach at the pool seven days a week, pretty much the entire season. Uh, we have like a, nearly a full month off at the book end of each season. Um, but the head coach, Mike always tells me I should take Mondays off and I don't need to be there, but I feel like I should, because if I'm not, I'm just kind of at home doing nothing. So I, I am there all the time. Uh, but that does make it challenging, uh, to kind of get away and do something for a weekend when, when you don't have a meet, you're doing a Saturday morning workout and then a Sunday evening workout. There's There's a very small window of opportunity to get away and do something. Um but again, I'm not one to complain uh right. we We get nearly a full month off in in march and, and August, so I use that time
0: yeah, I feel like uh I saw myself at times looking forward to Monday when Saturday morning mm-hmm. practice was off, and so sometimes like I don't want to take that day off, so I, I understand that. But it is a uh, unique scenario that you guys have because of the pool situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, ACAC decided to run practices on Sunday as well, so uh, yep. you really are working seven days a week.
1: And then, and then, even when you're not physically on deck coaching, there's there's always something you can be doing: updating a record board, answering emails from parents, getting people signed up for races. There's Pretty much always something you can't be right. doing.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of it. Again, I, I mean, I think every coach listening to this will know that the admin side takes yeah. up a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, especially if you're if you're still uh, enjoying it and excited about it, it's uh, more power to you. I think. Uh, I've seen. I've seen over time it it kind of wear off on, on some people, um, but. Uh, again there's something to be said about uh being excited being wanting to see the club mm-hmm. uh continue to improve
1: uh, um i think this is a uh answers another question kind of a little bit two of them but i just remembered something uh one piece of advice that I, that i got that i think can really help some coaches stay involved in the sport more uh over time and again, I kind of had a, a negative knee jerk reaction to it. But the more I thought about it, the more I, w- I kind of agreed with it. And a coach told me uh, that you you can't care about a swimmer's swimming more than they do. Because if you do, you're just going to constantly butt heads with them. So you need to make sure that if a swimmer is, is all in on the sport, and they want to be the best swimmer they can be, you need to be the most dedicated and, and active coach with them that they that, that that you can be but on the other side of it if a swimmer is just kind of doing swimming for fun and and they're and they're there to be around other people that that they're friends with and and just kind of learn how to swim in the in the meantime you need to make sure that you're not trying to turn them into olympic caliber athletes and and you're there to to coach them to the level that they want to be coached at and so that learning that because uh, I, I was struggling with that, because I, I want everyone to be as successful as they can be, but swimming is not the same. Pe not every swimmer is as passionate about swimming as most coaches are right and and I think that's a very important lesson for coaches to learn is to make sure that they adapt how much how much they try and and work with swimmers and coach them as much as they need slash want to be coached
0: yeah, that's a great point um, going to the kind of the closing stages here of our conversation what i guess what is the most important thing uh, people should know about you
1: um like i find myself to be quite uninteresting so i don't know exactly how to answer that question um if you see me on deck uh yelling at a kid just know that that the reason I'm yelling at them is because I care about them and I want them to be better or, or learn a skill or something and that I'm not actually a mean person. And if you talk to me, uh, you'll probably find that out pretty quickly.
0: That's uh, a yeah, uh, word on, on, on my end. Yeah. Absolutely true. Yeah.
1: I think a lot of coaches would probably echo that that statement.
0: <laughs> right. Uh, is there anything else uh, we, we haven't covered that you like to cover and uh, like to talk about?
1: Um trying to think nothing jumps to the forefront of my mind
0: okay Uh, so I like to uh, again thank you for for sitting down Uh, it's been kind of like I mentioned you I didn't coach you but I I heard about your your leadership as a high school captain Uh, kind of uh, saw you uh, in and out when when I was uh, here as in Mm -hmm. your first years in college uh, heard about you being back on deck, and uh, being thoroughly impressed with mm-hmm. uh, with what I see. I think. Uh, well, thank when you. When Mike, <laughs> when Mike talks about you guys having uh, ACAC currently being in a position where, where they have four potential head coaches, uh, you being one of them, uh, it's it's been really impressive to see uh, as a young coach and the, and the passion and the way you're uh, you're uh, helping those kids. Uh, so I guess thank you for for sitting down, and obviously uh, thank you for for helping the sport. Uh, in thanks for having me. Um, is there any closing thoughts or anything you, uh, uh I don't know if uh, you kind of mentioned, I think you don't have social media or something like that. Yeah. So yeah, to people to get in touch with you. If yeah. They if you
1: have any questions for me, the, the best way to contact me would either be email, uh, coach Ben at dot or text. Uh, I have Facebook, but that's probably the, I, I don't really use that all that much. And I don't have any other form of social media, uh, that I, that I use. So, yeah, just email or call or text is the best way to contact me.
0: (laughs) All right. We're we're not going to put the phone number on the (laughs) the podcast in case people but uh, I guess email would be pretty good. Uh, Ben, thanks again. Yeah. Um, Good luck with the season. Good luck with with the future here. Yeah, thank you. And that was it for another episode of the Swim Coaching Transit Podcast. Once again, thank you for listening. And if you made it to the end, I really hope you enjoyed it. If you did enjoy this, please, take a few seconds to give this podcast five stars or a positive review on whatever podcast player you use. And if you like to hear more shows like this, go ahead and subscribe. And thanks again to Ben for taking the time for this long chat. As I mentioned in the opening, I was really impressed with everything I saw from him while on deck, and I'm sure we'll hear more about him and his swimmers in the future. Also, be sure to check out the show notes on my blog, SwimCoachInTransit.com. That's swimcoachintransit, in Transit, all spelled out together in lowercase with no dashes or special characters. There you can find links to books, YouTube channels, and all other resources we talked about during this show. And again, thanks to my good friend Madhu for the soundtrack to this podcast. You can also find his Instagram info on the show notes. And also thanks to Zapslad for the sound effects. And that's it. Thanks again, and I hope you catch the next one.